Okay, we're starting the Kingdom of God series. We did the intro a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I just want to give you an overview, first of all, of where we're going. Because I know some people, they just like a sense of like a map, a road map. Well, here's an approximate road map of the series that's coming. You can see it up there on the screen. We're starting in Matthew 1 to 4. So it's a thematic study of the book of Matthew. Uh, we're going to look at kingdom warfare. Uh, understanding the battle that we're in, learning to fight. Okay, that's what we're going to be doing first of all. Then we're going to be talking about kingdom culture, Matthew 5 to 9, how the kingdom works out practically and supernaturally. We're going to talk about kingdom mission, Matthew 13 to 17, how the kingdom advances and grows. And then kingdom community, Matthew 18 to 22, how the kingdom works in community and the purpose of the church. So it's only going to take a couple of weeks to do this, isn't it? Uh, And then finally, we want to look at Kingdom Come, Matthew 23 to 28. Well, we're going to go all over the place for that one. And we're going to talk about the return of Christ. We're going to talk about heaven and what happens when we die. So how about that? So that's just to whet your appetite for all that's coming. And I'm very, very excited about what God's going to do amongst us. And, you know, I don't want this just to be a teachy thing. I want this to be an encounter, a continual encounter with the kingdom of God. All right, that's what we want from this season. I believe God has been preparing us for this. The season is ripe, and God has been speaking to us about this considerably. Amen. So the first talk is uh, a battle royal. That's what we're going to talk about today, a battle royal. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 1. Now, the idea of a battle royal, I sort of thought, can I use that phrase? Uh, but it just so, is so descriptive, I think, of what I want to lay down today. But the, the idea comes from a Roman invention, actually. So it goes right back to the gladiators. And what would happen is the gladiators would be pitched against one another in a battle royal, and they would have to fight to the death. And the victor would be the last man standing. And you think, well, is that an appropriate description of really what we're in right now? Because, of course, Jesus has already won the decisive victory. He is, and he always will be, the last man standing. So that's how I get it in. Uh, Jesus is the victor, and we enter into his victory. But I'm also using this title because I think kingdom uh, warfare is a royal battle. It's a battle concerning kings and princes and usurpers to the throne of God. It's all about the royalty and the authority of God. It's, It's a violent battle over realms and authority. It's about stolen kingdoms, deception, curses, lies, truth and victory. It's good and bad and the glory of Christ through it all. So that's the kind of overall picture of what we're talking about. Who likes period dramas? I mean, this is the ultimate period drama when we're talking about kingdom warfare and the throne of God. But today I want to put the series in the context of the big story of the kingdom. And we're going we're gonna to look through the Bible at the beginning, from the beginning of time, God's purposes for the kingdom of God. And Matthew, if you look at Matthew, starts with the genealogy of Jesus, doesn't it? If you just turn to chapter 1 and have a look at it just to see if I'm right, but I'm not actually going to read it to you because basically it's just a list of names. 
Now, Matthew is not the only one to include a genealogy. Luke does the same thing, although it's different in places. And people have said, well, why is it different? Surely it should be the same. Well, nobody's yet find the answer completely to that. But one thing that is very clear is that both of these lists authenticate the royal lineage of Jesus to a common ancestor, King David. So why is this so important? Why is this royal line so important? Well, just going back to David, David was the second king of Israel, and he was a righteous man. He was, the Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. And he wasn't perfect by any means, because, do you know, if you read the story of David, as you read many stories in the Bible, it includes all of their mistakes and sins, as well as their successes. Isn't that good? Aren't you so glad how God takes people that seem to be so unqualified and does amazing things through them? It's a picture of redemption. It's a picture of what God does with us. But David, he loved God. He loved God and he pleased him. But more importantly, God had made him an unconditional promise, which was essentially that the Messiah would come through his family line. And because of this, that there would always be a king to sit on the throne. And so Matthew is just merely setting up, making it absolutely clear, and it's the theme of the whole book, Jesus is the Messiah that was promised. Jesus is the king who has come to sit on David's throne forever. Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophetic promise. So it's a pretty important thing to establish right from the beginning. But then it takes a king, doesn't it, to trump a prince. It takes a king to trump a prince, and not just any king either, the king of all kings who came to unseat that usurper Satan who is called the prince of this world. And how frighteningly real this is can be seen in Matthew chapter 4 when Satan appears to offer Jesus all the nations of the world if only Jesus would bow down and worship him. I mean, staggeringly, Jesus never argued with the devil about that. And you just think, oh my goodness, it was that close. It feels like it was that close. If Jesus had just made the wrong decision, say, yeah, I'll take a shortcut. And that's because kingdom warfare is essentially about authority. And Satan had stolen that authority, the usurper. But Jesus had come to take it back. So what is kingdom authority? I'm going to make you work a bit today. I hope that's okay with you. It will get a lot more practical next week when we talk about are you ready to rumble, okay? So we'll, we'll do that next week. <laughs> but this week, I want you to just put your thinking caps on and just get an understanding of the foundations of what we're talking about. So kingdom authority. Now, last time, if you remember, I uh, defined the kingdom of God as being both the rule and authority of God over his people and the effect of that rule and authority being tangibly experienced. So the two things, the rule and authority of God and the effect of that rule and authority being tangibly experienced. The Bible version and the Western version of kingdom are quite different. Now bear with me, but in Western thinking, a kingdom uh, is primarily a realm or a physical area over which a king exercises authority. So a kingdom, a king's domain. So the queen... God bless her. She is sovereign over the realm of the United Kingdom 
Isn't that good? Still. <laughs> Praise God we kept Scotland. Uh, she is sovereign over the realm of the United Kingdom, which is not only a physical area, but it's also a group of people called UK citizens. So that's how it works in the West. It's a very specific area, a realm, a country, and a people. But in the Bible, there's a subtle but important difference in that the concepts of authority and realm, authority, the right to rule, and realm, the area of the rule, they're separated. And this is, this is described quite clearly if you look in Luke chapter 19, verse 11 to 12, which I'll just read to you. Luke 19, 11 to 12, where Jesus tells us about a nobleman who left his realm, he left his land to go to another country to get an authority to be king. So it's, verse 11 says, while they were listening to this, the people were listening, Jesus went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they were getting a bit confused about the kingdom of God and whether it was going to appear at that time. So he said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return and exercise those rights of authority as king. So there's a subtle difference. He he could actually go somewhere to get the authority to be called king within his own ownership or realm. It's quite different. He didn't need to get a realm. He already had that. He just needed to get the authority to rule. And so today, for us, we don't need to conquer land in the New Testament. That's not what it's about. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. It's not about land. It's not about buildings. It's not even about government being in the government, the legal kind of uh, legal authority of our country. Jesus has already given us all the authority that we need to go. But we'll come back to that. I'm getting ahead of myself. See, Jesus came as the royal king from a distant realm called heaven to take back the authority that had been lost to Satan and from that place extend the realm and all the benefits of God's kingdom here on earth. And initially that place, as we can see from the Gospels, that place was in Jesus himself. But now it is through us. So what was this authority then that Jesus had to take back from Satan when and how was it lost And for this, we need to go back to creation and a garden in a place called Eden. And the first thing we need to understand is that God was at the beginning and he was the authority. God, his authority has always and always will be supreme. He is the originator of all authority. He's the ruler of all things. And this has never been and never will be in any question. I mean, from his very own person, he created the realm of the whole universe. That's some realm, isn't it? (laughs) He created the realm of the whole universe, the heavens and the earth. With just his words, worlds were formed. The planets and the stars and every living thing came into being. His authority has never been in doubt, and it can be displayed in the universe around us, the realm of his authority. So all authority is in his hands to give or to withhold, but for some reason that I don't quite understand, God gave some of that authority to man on the creation of the world. And you just think, well, God, you know, if you just kept hold of things, if you just... 
It would have kind of been better. But for some reason, God gave man authority. Man's authority, some delegated authority to rule on God's behalf over earth, over the sea, and over every living thing. And if you think about it, this is the first expression of God's kingdom on earth. This is the first time that you see it. And this was a royal appointment. Adam was a prince of God. He was the very first son of God. And just look at the extent of the authority that God gave him. Firstly, he gave man authority to rule. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, it says, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness, so that they may rule over. That means literally to have dominion over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, and over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And you see, when man was created in God's likeness, he was created to rule like God in the world, over creation. And, do you know, I can hardly begin to imagine what that really looked like, what it would really look like to be in that kind of rulership, that kind of authority. The best example that we can see is in Genesis chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, when it comes to naming of the animals. And God says, look, Adam, I've created these creatures, but I want you to name them. I want you to give them their name. Because, you see, when you name something, you have authority over it. It's mine. I call it this. Incredibly significant. So he gave man authority to rule. Secondly, he gave man a realm in which to rule. So initially, that realm was in Eden. In chapter 2, verse 8, it says that God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the man that he'd formed. And this realm, which was called Eden, it, it had clear boundaries and dimensions. It was marked out by rivers. They intersected and they separated the garden from presumably the rest of Eden, because Eden was a region, not just a place. And there were other land masses too. Next door was the land of Nod, which just I just find that interesting. I'd like to go to the land of Nod, wouldn't you? But this wasn't just a physical realm. It was also a place where the kingdom of God was fully experienced. See, in Eden, there was no sickness. There's no sin and there was no dying. But there was also no no fear. And the presence of God was so tangible, it says that Adam would walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day. And they'd just chat with one another. How cool would that be? Face to face with God. God gave man a realm in which to rule. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden for two reasons, to work it and to take care of it, which literally means to guard it, to guard it. So it seems to mean that there was more to be had in this realm. There was something to be cultivated. There was something to work at. I don't know what that is. What could that be? Maybe more of God... (laughs) Maybe more of heaven on earth, but there was something more to be got. 
And secondly, there was this need to keep it or protect it. And I don't know what that means. What's Adam to keep it or protect it from? How's it, why has it been set up like that? I don't know what that is, but what was that lying snake doing in the garden? <laughs> you know, maybe he should have been protecting it from that. Maybe he should have been keeping an eye out for things coming in that shouldn't be coming in. Somebody missed that. How did that get there? There's more to be got of God. <laughs> Always more to be got, but there's something to be protected as well. Your relationship with God, how you live your life. Keep the weeds out. Cultivate that relationship with God. But that wasn't the end. There was this authority, there was this realm. But it wasn't the end of the plan. Back in chapter 1, God sets out the full commission that he has for man. And that commission was to extend the realm of his authority beyond the Garden of Eden. He gave man a commission to extend the kingdom. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Go into all the world. Right back there at the beginning, God says, he blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and, in number and literally fill the whole earth and subdue it, literally bring it under your authority. Bring it to that place of the kingdom of God breaking out and what you've got here, take out there. Doesn't that sound familiar? What does it mean? What does it mean, perhaps even physically? I don't know, because we don't know what was going on outside of Eden at that time. The thing is that there weren't any other human beings that were alive at that time, if you read the account. So what does that mean? Maybe God just had a heart for the whole world to be filled with the glory of God. Maybe God even loves creation like that. The blessing that God gave was there right at the beginning, before the curse was even invented. I want my glory and all that I am and all that is in the kingdom of God and in the kingdom of heaven to be covering the whole earth. And one day it will. That promise is still there. That blessing has still be given to mankind. What a curious thought. <laughs> Right there at the beginning. But then, of course, paradise was lost. It never happened. That, that vision that God had, that great commission, was never fulfilled. The realm was never extended. And we know that because Adam disobeyed God in Genesis chapter 3, and he lost everything, not just for himself, but for the whole human race. So just look quickly with me at the consequences of that. Firstly, authority. His authority was surrendered because of disobedience and sin. His authority was surrendered. You know, as a son of God, as a prince created in God's image, Adam had authority over everything that was made, over every created thing, including Satan. I don't know if you realize that. Adam didn't need to listen to the devil. He could have rebuked him right there and then. He had authority over him. He was literally under his feet. He was a snake crawling on the ground. 
He had authority over him. So when Adam agreed with that lying snake against God, what happens is he submitted himself to the authority of the one that crawled on the ground. He submitted himself and he entered into an agreement with him. He said, what you say is right, what God says is untrue. And through that, he subjected the whole human race to that authority on the ground. Satan stole Adam's authority and the right to rule to such an extent that in John chapter 12 verse 3, he says he's, he's called Satan the prince of this world. So much so Adam even lost his title. Satan was the prince of this world. Secondly, the realm was surrendered. I mean, this was a literal thing for Adam and Eve who previously walked in the garden with God. Genesis 3.23 says that Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden. They lost their realm, the realm of their authority. And the earth that they were charged to rule over now and subdue now resisted every effort of cultivation. I don't know if you realise this, but the world was never meant to be a dangerous place. It was never meant to be a place where there were earthquakes and famines and floods. It's never meant to be. And thirdly, the kingdom was reduced instead of expanded. The kingdom was reduced because actually what happened immediately after the fall was the extension of the kingdom of darkness. You know, in the days of Noah, it says in Genesis 6, 5, that the wickedness of man became great and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart were evil all the time. How awful, how dark must that place have been? And you know, you've only got to look around the world today and ask, well, what if the people of God knew the authority that had been given to them? You know, what if we really understood who we are? What could happen? What could happen in the world today if we understood what Jesus had reversed through the cross? If we really were secure in our identity as princes, reigning with God, as royalty, as royal ambassadors of Christ, what could be changed? I'm rushing ahead again. But you see, paradise was lost, but God had a rescue plan. You know the story, you know the story, and I'm not going to go through it all, but God called a man called Abraham and he made him a promise that led to the birth of a small nation called Israel, which led to a king called David, who received the promise of a saviour, the Messiah, the second Adam a son of God, and a king who came to reclaim all that was lost. And so we're back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 17. Matthew chapter 1, verse 17 says this, Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. And this is where it all comes together. It all comes together. This is the pinnacle of God's plan. It all comes together in Jesus, the king on David's throne, but also the son of God and the ultimate king of heaven. It takes a king to trump a usurping prince. 
and here he is, Jesus Christ. Jesus, the king and his kingdom, begins to preach, repent, repent, the kingdom of heaven is really near. <laughs> it's really near, it's right here, Matthew chapter four seventeen. Jesus came from that distant place called heaven to earth, and with it, heaven comes close, it crushes into the world. And Jesus, the very embodiment of the kingdom, begins to preach. You know, in Jesus, it's in his nature. The kingdom is in his nature. It's in his person. It's in all that he did. If you want a really clear definition of the kingdom of God, you've just got to look at Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of that kingdom. The kingdom of God is made tangible. The word made flesh. Jesus, who's very clear about his authority... Now, the thing that's sort of looking at Matthew chapter 7, the thing that really leaps out of you, Jesus starts to teach, and, and it says that the, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one having authority. He was very clear about his authority and where he spoke from, the place he spoke from. This wasn't just some new theory or debatable teaching. What was startling about Jesus' authority is not only the words that he says, but it was da- backed up with a demonstration of the kingdom that he talked about. So the Pharisees and the teachers, they look at Jesus and the biggest question that they have is, where does he get this authority from? Where's he got, where's he been to get that authority to bring it here on earth? And so he starts to declare the kingdom of God, the realm, and as he does, the realm of that kingdom starts to be felt around him. You know, people get free from the authority of Satan. They get delivered from demons. Every disease and sickness is healed among the people because there's no sickness or disease in heaven and in that realm. Every miracle he performs, every demon that's cast out, every piece of good news he proclaims. You know that the devil doesn't have any good news, don't you? (laughs) There's no good news out there. There's only good news in Jesus but every piece of good news, blood on your sword, as angel, as angel, angel, as Angela would say, blood on your sword. The realm of the kingdom is increased, and the powers of darkness are pushed back. Are you with me? Can you get a bit excited? Because I feel like I'm here on my own. But here comes the crucial test. This is the decider. It's the apple and the tree all over again. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. John chapter 12, 23. Will Jesus pass the final test? Will he be obedient even to death, the death on the cross? Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. And then all heaven breaks out. And this voice booms out from the Father. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. It's done. The decision is made. And so Jesus immediately responds with this. He proclaims these words. He says, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now is the prince of this world driven out. 
And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everybody to me. There's nobody that can stop them from coming. His kingdom is driven out. I can have a hallelujah at least for that. Amen. Praise God. Whew. The usurper is undone. His authority is removed. He's no longer the prince of this world, but through the cross he's returned to crawl on his belly in the ground. As the Apostle John in the Revelation prophetically sees him, I love this, he describes Satan, he says, the dragon, that ancient snake who is the devil or Satan. Jesus has the keys to the kingdom. Wow. All authority has been given to him. All authority has been reclaimed from where it was lost by Adam. So Jesus can return from the resurrection and commission his disciples with these words, which when you look back to Genesis are vaguely familiar again. (laughs) Number one, he says, no, I'll do it this way. All authority is in heaven and on earth and it's been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you to the end of the age. Very familiar passage. But do you realize the significance, all authority, all, how much is all? All authority is now his. And on the basis of that authority, Jesus says, I commission you. On the basis of all authority, I commission you. And that's the authority that we now act on today. So the enemy still thinks, still likes to deceive people that he's got authority. He's a deceiver. His authority is illegitimate because all authority has been given to Jesus and through Jesus given to us. Did you realize that? All that was lost at the fall is being restored to us. And, you know, it's going to take the rest of this series to unpack what that means. I tried to do it in one talk. It's impossible. So, look, I'm going to have to leave you hanging a bit on this. But let me just give you a few things. Let's go back to those three points. Remember those three points, authority to rule, okay? This has been restored in Jesus because he says all authority has been given to us in Christ. Secondly, a realm to rule. As we'll see, this is wherever you go. Your realm, when you know your authority, the realm of his kingdom goes with you. Whenever you proclaim the kingdom, whenever you pray for the sick, whenever you bring hope, whenever you bring love or peace or any of the other fruits of the kingdom of God, joy, you release joy. Take joy to your office on Monday. Take the kingdom of God with you. Wherever you go, the realm is extended. Thirdly, the kingdom is There is a kingdom to extend just beyond the realm, beyond the realm of this church, beyond the realm of these walls, beyond the realm of this community, beyond the realm. Where? Where? It's the whole earth. Jesus is very clear. Extend the realm to the whole earth. Not just to the whole earth, but every nation. And then if you read in another passage, it says, in every ethnicity. Every nation and every ethnicity within that nation extend the kingdom. Proclaim the kingdom, the good news. Is it all done yet? Yes, but no, but yes. 
It's not all done yet. And we're caught in between times. But the ultimate victory is assured. And until the time of the full coming in of the kingdom, we must boldly and continually do the works of Jesus. Proclaim the kingdom of God. Advance the realm of his kingdom and the rule of reign, the rule and reign of God so that it's tangibly known and experienced throughout the whole earth. Wow. I'm out of breath with all that. So let me finish with this. Let me ask you. This is the one thing I want you to take away. It's all about authority. Do you know the authority that God has given to you as an individual to rule? Do you know the authority that you have as a royal son or daughter, as an ambassador of Christ? Do you have the confidence in yourself to act on that authority in Jesus' name, knowing that I have the right to exercise authority in that name? And do you understand that the realm of his kingdom increases literally through you? And I bring it down to the individual, but obviously that isn't the biblical picture. The biblical picture is us, the people of God. Do we know our authority as the people of God? As we come to pray about some things over these next two months, do we know the authority that Jesus has given to us? And in my experience, most of us don't until we begin to act on it. And then we have a mighty surprise. I didn't know I had that kind of authority. I prayed for that person and they were instantly healed. Let me just tell you a quick story and then we'll finish. As a child uh, growing up, I was plagued with the most awful dreams and I struggled immensely with fear. I don't really know why, but I did. I'd have terrible dreams and then terrible encounters that would occur in the night. And... uh, and for years, I just struggled. And I, mum and dad prayed with me and all that kind of thing, but I don't think we really understood what was going on at that time. And it went on for many years until one day, I stopped praying about it. Some, do you know, some of you need to stop praying about some things. I stopped praying about it and, and decided to take authority, to exercise some authority. I was only a young teenager at the time. I remember this moment so vividly. There I was, in the middle of the night, on the floor, on my face, with my quilt covering me, because I used to believe the devil couldn't get me if I was under my quilt. And I was lying there, trembling, because there was a horrible big figure in my room. And I suddenly found myself getting very knocked with this. Quite put out, in fact... And I lifted the corner of my quilt and I looked over to the area of the room where I thought this thing was and I pointed. And I said, in the name of Jesus, get out of my bedroom and don't you come back. And then much to my surprise, the floor shook and the windows rattled as this thing charged out of the room and I just went, ooh. And then I read in the Bible about you cast it out by the finger of God. (laughs) Hallelujah. Do you know the authority that you have as a Christian? 
We're going to be unpacking this over the next couple of months because I want us to be confident in our identity as children of God, exercising the authority that God has given us, to extend the realm of his authority, not just in our own lives, but to affect our community and to affect the whole world. Amen.